0: This podcast is sponsored by The Copywriter Underground.
1: It's our new membership designed for you to help you attract more clients and hit 10K a month consistently.
0: For more information or to sign up, go to the copywriterunderground.com What if you could hang out with seriously talented copywriters and other experts? Ask them about their successes and failures, their work processes, and their habits then steal an idea or two to inspire your own work. That's what Kira and I do every week at the Copywriter Club podcast.
1: You're invited to join the club for episode 127 as we chat with copywriter Pauline Longdon about her journey from army major to copy alchemist, what it takes to write emotional direct response copy, how being diagnosed with depression helped her to stop playing small, and maybe a hint of what it's like to be in the most secretive copywriting group of all. Welcome, Pauline.
0: Hey, Pauline.
1: Hey, it's great to be here. Thank you. Yeah, it's great to have you here, Pauline. I know we've been talking with you for a while, so we can finally have you on the show. You know, I've, I've read your book. You want to dive into today, but let's start with your story. How did you end up as a copywriter?
2: Uh, that's kind of a long story. I used to be in the army and I didn't even know what a copywriter was. I mean, when Gary Bensavanger did his farewell seminar, I wasn't even a twinkle in a copywriter's eye. I was still <laughs> in the army and <laughs> just doing that kind of thing. I was a, a nurse in the army, but then life had a a bit of a curveball and threw it straight at my face and I ended up with major depression and got kicked out of the army and so then I just needed to work out what I wanted to do with my life and so the day I got out of the army was supposed to be the last day of my life to be honest and I I was driving towards a tree and I decided maybe you're going to muck this up to what makes you think you can do anything right so I decided, okay, well, if I'm going to have to be here, I have to do something good with my life. So I started to look around for businesses. I didn't want to work for anyone anymore. And so I looked at businesses and then I found copywriting through necessity because I had a business which was all about – I used to be a mindset coach and and a healer and teacher and all that sort of awesome stuff. But I wanted to tap into the potential of my business. And what happened though was – I got a a company to write some copy for me and it was awful. I I cried, not with joy. It was, tis, frustration. I I sounded like a charlatan and so I asked them, can you rewrite this? And they said, well, if you think you can do better, then you go and do it. And I looked at them, I said, "I, I honestly don't think I can do any worse. And so being the Aussie that I am, I went, let's have a crack at this. So I had a crack. Turns out I can actually write copy. So that's how I ended up as a copywriter.
0: That is such a great story, and maybe a little concise. I think we really want to jump into a lot of what you mentioned. <laughs> yeah. Going, you know, especially back, you pique our interest when you talk about leaving the army and how that was supposed to be the last day of your life. And mm-hmm. you know, you know, talking to you before that, you suffered from some pretty serious depression. Will you talk about that? Maybe not necessarily the causes, but yes. the experience, and how you dealt with it, and I think that's produced your book and a whole bunch of other stuff. So let's let's mm-hmm. dive in.
2: Yeah, for sure. I'm happy to talk about depression. So I'll just explain how I ended up with depression because I mean, I was very happy in the army. I loved it. It was kind of not a dream come true, but I I thought it was my calling. And I was in the army as a nurse, so I had a more humanitarian angle. And so I think that's sort of flowed through to my copywriting in the way that I can empathize with people and have compassion for my reader. But I just got burnt out because the army sent me on two back-to-back deployments or operations, as you call them in America. And then when I came back, they threatened to throw me straight onto another one. And it was just too much. They're very stressful. You know, you're walking around with a, a loaded weapon. Although I was a nurse, you still have to walk around with your loaded weapon. You're eating, drinking, sleeping, showering with it. If you leave it behind, you get punished. So it was really stressful. And being on edge all the time, being away from your family, everything just added up. So I ended up crashing and burning in a big way. The irony was that I got promoted to major, which is a pretty high rank in the army. And a couple of months later, I got diagnosed with major depression. And now that I can laugh, because I couldn't at the time, it's like, can I have a captain's dose of depression? Because major just seems a little bit too much. <laughs> and they just <coughs> went, no. So what depression was for me was I went on to antidepressants and they just didn't work. I, uh, getting chopped and changed and I, I jokingly say now that they don't test those kind of drugs on animals they, they test them on army people because I was getting I was only a very small woman back then and I was getting dinosaur doses of the drugs and in fact they actually ended up overdosing me and then they covered it up so that was the turning point for me in the whole journey. I just thought, well, if you're not going to look after me, I'm out of here. I can't be here anymore, which is kind of ironic that someone who's depressed and doesn't want to be here, doesn't want to be alive, <laughs> didn't like the fact that the army tried to kill us. So there was something happening. So I, I listened to that guidance and I started to put the wheels in motion of, of being discharged. But then that left me, you know, without a career. Uh, I was told that I'd never nurse again and that I'd always have depression. So that they're the two biggest pieces of BS I've ever been told. Really, was that basically my life was going to be just blackness? And so, as I said in my synopsis at the beginning, the last day I was in the army, because when I left the army that day, I couldn't read or write. And it's not because I'm illiterate; it's because my brain was so fried. And so I was actually ready to leave the world without even leaving a suicide note because I just couldn't write. And so on my way home, I'd actually planned this for months. I actually had the tree picked out. I was speeding towards a tree and only had seconds to go when all of a sudden a booming voice in my head said, you know, stop the effing car. What makes you think you're going to do this right? You've done everything else wrong up until now. And Pauline, you're a nurse. You know what happens to people when they F up their suicide attempts. You will be a vegetable for the rest of your life. You will be reminded of how much of an F up you are for the rest of your life. Stop. So I just went, okay, compelling reason why, copy right there. (laughs) I stopped the car, sobbed, drove myself home, did what every adult would do, went to my room, (laughs) locked the door, curled up in a ball in the fetal position and cried myself dry. Because I just went, you know, if, if not this, then what What am I supposed to do? And then um, I found some healing techniques that actually helped me to, to get out of depression drug-free. Yeah.
1: Can you talk about those? How did you get out of depression? What helped you the most?
2: I don't want to say that this is the be-all and end-all or the one-size-fits-all solution. It, it certainly worked for me because, as I said, the medications didn't work from the start. So what I did was I, it's one of those things, it's, it's kind of like a happenstance. Things just started to open up for me once you make the decision that that's it, I'm no longer going to be depressed. And and you might notice that I just struggled over the words because I'm a huge believer that the words that we say feed ourselves and create our reality. So one of the things that I did learn through these healing modalities and NLP and some other things that I learned, which was all about the mindset was you are what you say you are. So if you say anything afterwards, I am, like I am depressed, well, you will be depressed or I am a waste of space or I'm useless. Well, then you're affirming that and that shows up in your life. So I learned very quickly not to, well, it's funny, not to say the word not because your subconscious mind doesn't recognize it. So when you say, I do not, this is this is the irony of my getting out of the army. I used to look after people who were so depressed, the soldiers, they were getting kicked out of the army, left, right and centre, and I used to sit there and say, man, I don't ever want to be kicked out of the army on a psych discharge. That is the one way that I was kicked out of the army was on a psych discharge. I said it so much, I must have just put the wheels into motion. So the modalities that I learned, I'm, I'm no longer aligned with, so I'm not going to mention them, the names here. But there are a lot of things out there that do great work with your mindset. There's NLP, which I will mention, but there's other things that can really help you. And I, I know I still do those mindset sessions for clients as well, just to help people get through their stuff. And the other thing that I, I decided was I was no longer going to own depression. And I mentioned this in my book. People give depression cute names, like I think it was Winston Churchill called it the black dog. But I worked out intuitively, why call it a black dog? I mean, I'm an animal lover. I'm not going to starve a dog or kick it out or kill it or anything like that because I love animals. So giving depression a cute name or trying to be fashionable with it, I just saw it as an enemy that I just wanted to get rid of. And so how can I get rid of it? Well, I kind of loved it away. I just went, well, thank you for the lessons. Now, you know, get out. I have no room for you anymore. So I um, made sure that I never said, I am depressed. I made sure that I said, I am recovering from depression. I never owned my doctor. I never said, oh, I'm going to my psychiatrist or I've got to go and see my doctor. I don't actually own a doctor. <laughs> I don't own anything that I want to live without basically. And that's one of the biggest keys of how I got out of depression. Sounds simple, but these small incremental changes, you know, they say small hinges swing big doors. That was it for me. Was just disconnecting from depression going you know what I know that you're going to be there but you don't have to be the star attraction this is my life this isn't the, the depression show this is the Pauline Longdon show on the star attraction not you.
0: yeah that sounds like really really good advice to me. So if somebody were listening Pauline and you know they, they mm-hmm. might be struggling with depression but aren't you know ready to make that jump or aren't able to you know disown the thing that seems to be you know, engulfing their yep. life, how can they get started? What what kind of advice do you have for them to just, you know, get that first peak of light?
2: Yeah, well, one of the things that I had when I had depression, as I said, I couldn't read or write. So people giving me books and things to read was just stupid. So what I did, and, and this was before like iTunes was around, but there wasn't a lot of that. There wasn't a lot of Audible or anything like that. It was the beginning of this century basically. So but what I did, I had uh, Think and Grow Rich on a CD, so when I was feeling all right, I had a multi-stack CD player in the olden days and so I'd put all the CDs in there and I'd just press play. That was when I was feeling good and then I'd actually go and sit on the lounge and I'd feel like crap but I had this Napoleon Hill thing just playing in the background and because I was too apathetic to get off the lounge, although I hated it I'm going, oh, man, turn that off, I was too apathetic to actually get off and do it. So I had this thing, this positivity and, I don't know, these great influences just infusing into my brain so that's what I would say, just start to listen to, to positive things, things that are going to lift you up. And that's something that I work by in my life. It's kind of a mantra. Is this going to improve my life or is it going to hurt my life? And so what I, I it's kind of a litmus test or a, a filter that I run my, my life through. And that's I can't be around negative people and stop being around negative people. Even if it's your family, start to disconnect from them. I know it's difficult, especially when they've got the last name as you. <laughs> You've got to hang around them a bit. But just limit the triggers because I also have PTSD, so that's all about triggers. So what I've learned to do is just work out what triggers you into the spin cycle of heading down into depression again. Find ways to lift yourself up and then when you invest in finances and that they've got something that they call a stop loss, that's so like a little safety net for their stocks. I do that with depression what I do is I will find things and I try to place a stop loss or a safety net that I don't fall lower than that, if that makes sense. I've got little strategies that I'll do and if I know that someone will actually try to make me fall below that safety net or that stop loss where I'm happy to to be, I evict them out of my life as simple as that. If I want to be here and if I have to be here, I'm going to make sure it's with good people.
1: I'd like to hear about your time as a nurse. You mentioned that it helped you develop compassion for your reader and has helped you as a copywriter. Mm -hmm. What lessons can you share from your time as a nurse with copywriters who have never been in that role before?
2: Yeah, well, nursing is a really interesting profession because as a nurse, what you're doing is you're looking after people. Um, And I was a, a trauma nurse specifically, so emergency nursing and also ICU nursing. So think about a patient, they get up in the morning and the last thing that they're expecting to do is end up in a hospital fighting for their life. And so what you need to do as a nurse is to be the advocate for that person and have compassion for them (laughs) because nursing is interesting. People take out their frustrations and angers on nurses, right? And so I used to teach my nursing students and my medics when I was in the army, you know, that person there in the bed that's just bitten you or punched you, it's not a nice experience for you, but think about them. It's kind of that turning the other cheek philosophy, but they have a reason, you know, that they might be high on drugs. They might be angry that their family just left them to basically rot in a hospital. They might be fearful for their life. They might be on the influence of of morphine or something like that. So they hit you. And I'm not saying excuse the behavior. I'm just saying just see it from a 30,000 foot view instead of a three foot view. But then if I'm a nurse and I retaliate back and hit that person back, then what is my excuse? Because I can actually go home at the end of my shift. I can get out of this, but this person in the bed can't. This is their life. So I think being a nurse gives me that perspective of think about, we all say it, it's cliche, but not a lot of people do it, is you know walk a mile in someone else's shoes. Put yourself into the bed of that patient and see the world from their perspective. And that's certainly what I do with my copywriting is that I'm very aware of the the plight of the reader.
0: So, Polly, and I've noticed one of the things that you talk about. What you do is that you write emotional direct response copy. And I'm not sure that I've ever mm-hmm. seen anybody you know talk about direct response as it being emotional. I mean, I, I think we all know that we have to capture the emotions of the people that we're talking to, and we have to write with emotions. Yeah. But you know, mm-hmm. when you talk about writing emotional direct response copy, it sounds like it's kind of coming out of that same experience as a nurse and understanding your. Yeah customer or who you're trying to sell to, but will you talk a little bit about that?
2: Yeah, well I I think it comes back to what I was saying just a few moments ago about what you say you live. So I I was thinking, yes, I know that direct response is about tapping into the desires and the emotions and all that sort of stuff. But when I was learning, you know, how to write copy and we talk about avatars and that, I just noticed that in the sort of the list that we were compiling and the picture of the person, we never really spoke about their emotions or what they felt about things and I kind of was for a while when I was teaching copywriters and my mentees we I just started to talk about emotion graphics because we talk about demographics, we talk about psychographics, but where's the emotional part of that? It kind of like comes in and out of those, but let's give it a, a proper section. So that's where I started to get into things like the emotion graphics and also the conscious consumer, which is, you know, we're all awakened. We're not selling to virgins as Dan Kennedy says. But when people have been burnt by being sold to or being, you know, reading really cheesy, hypey copy, then there there is an underlying emotion that you need to address in your copy that a lot of people don't because they just go, okay, so what do they need to do? Yeah, I need to tap into this desire. I have to do this. But from an an emotional perspective, like as a nurse, I would sit there and have a a heart-to-heart conversation with someone that's the way I see my copy. I'm just sitting there having a heart-to-heart conversation with one person and there is emotion in there. I feel that the, the copy when I'm writing is like a safe space for that person. I'm like when I'm nursing, you know, sometimes as a nurse, you have to do things to people that aren't nice. You know, giving a needle hurts people. Some of the other treatments, giving an enema and things like that, not pleasant for the patient and not pleasant for the nurse, but you have to do it for the betterment of the person. So, I think when you're writing copy with that kind of mindset, it makes it more, okay, let's give you a safe spot. It's not nice that I'm giving you an enema, but guess what? I'm not going to put this on Facebook. I'm not going to tell everyone, you know, that, you you know, what your butthole looks like. It's like you're setting up a nice space that the person feels supported. They feel that you understand them. And then when you do that, then they're more trusting. And they go, you know what, you're not like all the other hypey copy, or you're not like the other businesses that that are just after me for my money. So that's what I think the emotional direct response copy actually taps into a little bit more than just the regular direct response. How can we
1: do that better when we're writing? What do we need to think about or work through?
2: Well, I I think, Kira, what, what I see with a lot of copywriters is that they're all about the tricks. And so instead of reading the, the books of the classics and studying the craft and even just studying human dynamics and behavior, they just get into the, this is my purpose of the copy. So I'm going to write that. And then hopefully someone takes the action at the end. What I take the approach about is what does the person need to know from me in order to get them to make that decision at the end? What do I need to provide them with? Also, the other thing is that You've got to understand, and this is more towards the conscious consumer, is that they don't react to the push-push kind of copy and push languaging, but what they will react to is more a, a pull, like attraction marketing, you know, instead of saying, oh, yes, we're going to give you this and you're going to get this. It's like, what I'm going to share with you and you'll experience and then welcome into the community. It's, it's kind of like a more welcoming, drawing in languaging, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, that makes sense.
0: Totally. So Pauline, you know, when you talked about how you had that first assignment that you took on you know, your own copy mm-hmm. and started doing your own thing, let's go back to that just for a minute and talk about how you found mm-hmm. your next clients or how you went from, you know, the client of you to finding a stable mm-hmm. clients that could support you as a copywriter.
2: Yeah, well, what happened, and I'm kind of fortunate in a way. I never say that I'm lucky. I I don't think anyone's lucky in life. You make your own fortune. But what happened was I caught the eye of one of the, we call him the Dan Kennedy of Australia. I set my intention and, and targeted him. I wanted to be on his copywriting team. But when I approached him, he said, look, Pauline, I've got 15 copywriters already. And I said, yeah, how many females do you have on your team? He goes, none. I said, yeah, that's a big problem. Because I'd also been told that females don't make good copywriters, but actually oh, no. that is true. We don't make good copywriters. We make freaking awesome copywriters. <laughs> 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 and and um, I've made those people eat their words several times. But but what happened, I guess, and this is where the fortune comes is, I said I basically dead the guy. I said to him, "Well, you need a female copywriter on your team. I'm that person." And he goes, "Well, I don't even know that you can write copy." I said, "Well, you know, you'll never know unless you give me a go." And so he goes, "All right." You're pretty cocky, but you're on. <laughs> so I got him to shake hands and he goes, But I'm only paying you half and I went, Okay. So we shook hands on it and then I started to laugh. He goes, What are you laughing at? And I said, I was gonna do it for free. He goes, Oh, fucker you know, like <laughs> so then I spent the next three years on his copy team and people have said that it was like a copy mill, but it actually wasn't. It was um fast and furious, but it it had to be at the high high level because this guy was charging like $80,000 for these marketing packages. So I couldn't get away with sloppy copy at all. So it was a baptism of fire. I jumped in. I I was doing all different types of copy. I was writing. I actually ended up writing for, I I think it's, I'd, I'd lost count, but it was about 47 different industries and sub industries because he just needed a ton of copy. So I just... I didn't say no to one job. I just took everything. And not because I'm a shameless copy whore. It was because I wanted the experience. And I've got to tell you, that accelerated my progress like nothing else. It was incredible.
0: Yeah. Tell us a few of those first lessons that you learned as you started working, you know, drinking from the fire hose, working on so many projects so quickly. You know, what were the first things that you really started to do well?
2: Time management. I think there was one time I basically had 15 jobs due that week. Some of them were like Facebook ads. Free reports and email series. And one thing that he used to do that I I love writing is the old Gary Halbert style lumpy mail, you know, why have I attached this piece of carpet to this letter kind of thing? And I love the creativity of that. So I really had to get into the time management really quickly. And nowadays I've got a really solid schedule kind of sheet that I use that keeps me focused and on track. And what I've done is over the years, I've re- reduced it down. I would never have 15 jobs due in the one week. Nowadays, I have room for five projects and certain things get a high priority like my retainer clients. Paris is a high priority. But you know who gets the highest priority? Is me. My business is my first priority because without me, there's no anything else.
1: Okay. I love that. I want to talk more about that. But first, you know, it takes a lot of confidence to do what you do and just like pitch that Dan Kennedy of Australia. It worked for you. And it seems like that's what gave you your solid start and led to many other successes that we'll talk about. Mm -hmm. So what would you say to that copywriter that hears that? And they're like, I can't imagine doing that. I just don't feel confident enough to say that or say something similar. Mm. How did you channel that confidence and just show up and do it?
2: Here's the thing. If you want something so badly, you will do anything in order to get it. If you can't back yourself, if you can't walk up to your best prospect or the person that you really want to work with and give them a good pitch, then I'm just going to give you the cold hard truth right now. You don't want it bad enough. So you need to really have a good look at yourself. And it sounds arrogant, I guess, to say that because where I am, but at that time, you know what, Kira, I had nothing to lose. In fact, I was being told that I should go for bankruptcy because my world had fallen apart. My healing business had just fallen apart because there was a big controversy in Australia about the modality, which is why I don't mention it anymore. And I went from having people travel from all around the world to be trained by me to Australia. I had a huge business. I had clients everywhere. It hit the news one night. The next night, I had no business. All of my clients cancelled and every person that had prepaid for a course all wanted their money back and I gave them 100% of their money back. So I overnight had just about lost everything. And so when I saw, his name's Mal Emery, when I saw Mal Emery at an event, I just went, you know what? I have absolutely nothing to lose. So have that. Not desperation, but that huge desire, and you can do anything. You just need a few seconds of courage. Because what's the worst thing he could have said to me? No, bugger off, you know, stop wasting my time, you know. And that's one of my things that I say to my mentees don't tell yourself no. Just go out, and most of the times people don't say no. They actually admire your character and your spunk. I mean, I spoke to Mal years later and he said, I said, why did you ever, you know, give me that chance? And he goes, Pauline, Um, I always back the jockey, not the horse. And you are an incredible jockey. You basically have a character that was worth investing in. So show up and be that person that they want. Okay.
1: So let's talk about putting your business first, because that really stands out to me. I know how hard it is to put everyone else first and your business last. Mm -hmm. What does this look like in your business today? How do you continue to put yourself first, your business first?
2: Okay. So as I said, on my schedule, I've got room for five jobs each week. Number one is Pauline Incorporated. So Pauline Incorporated looks like I have a weekly email that I send out to my list, my little knowledge nuggets. There's my perspective and lessons of of life. There's usually a bit of a story, then there's the knowledge nugget, and then I wind that into some kind of lesson that people can implement. And I'm also sharing my copywriting journey with being a cub of Paris Lampropolis. So I do that. So I know that I have to get that done by Wednesday or it's actually sent out on a Tuesday evening in America. So that has to be done. I've been doing it for three years. I haven't missed a week. Even though I was in hospital for a couple of weeks and I was high on morphine, they were actually my best emails I think I've ever written.
0: There's a lesson there, maybe.
2: (laughs) Yeah, unfortunately, morphine isn't very easy to get. So I had to learn how to write copy because, you know, why I study it so much. So, yeah, so that's it. And also, I've got a podcast. So, there's stuff that I need to do each week. I need to record the podcast, I need to do the show notes, and then we need to promote it and things like that and edit it. And so, for me, they're a non negotiable activity. If I don't do them, then I let my people down, like my list and my audience. So, that's why they're important. Then, underneath that, the next important one is Paris Lampropolis. He's my mentor. But he owns me, basically. We have to sign a contract that says he has first right of refusal on my time. So anything he gives me is right at the top of that list underneath me. And then I do his homework. Then my retainer clients, I look after them because they've bought my time. Then my mentees because they've bought my time. And then anything else that I've got room for. So yeah, but you always have to look after your own business because we'll hear it all the time. It's very cliche. Um, You have to put your own oxygen mask on first before you help anyone else. Being a nurse, I know how that looks, is that if you don't look after yourself, then you can't look after your patients. You know, how many nurses get a cold and then go back to work? Well, you're going to infect your patients that are already compromised. I mean, that's not right. Okay, so as a copywriter, if you don't look after yourself, if you don't look after your, your mental health and your physical health, then how can you do a good job for your clients? You can't. You're giving them substandard copy, perhaps. Maybe you're not giving them your best work. Are they paying you for the best work or for your worst work? That's what I think about.
0: Let's talk a little bit about your work with Paris. I know that you have to sign an NDA and you can't really talk about a lot of the things that Paris you know does and teaches. But Being one of his few cubs, maybe the most exclusive copywriting group in the world, what are some of your takeaways from that experience? What are the things that you've learned from him that you've been able to apply in your own business?
2: Paris has got a really amazing way of looking at the world. So he looks through different filters. I'm just trying to think of what I can share with you. I think I just wanted to just backtrack a bit about how I actually even got Paris's mentor because, like, I live in Australia, Brisbane, Australia. How does a woman in Brisbane, Australia, get the attention of someone who lives in New York? Well, it's by showing up. I actually wanted it badly enough that I went to an, an event, borrowed money to go there. I was, you know, this was at the same time as I was asking to go on that copy team, so I showed up. And basically, I knew I wanted to be one of his cubs. He told me he wasn't taking cubs. I said, you know what? When you are taking them, I'll be there ready and waiting. And then I met him a couple of other times. And that's the thing. You have to stand out from a crowd with people. You have to do something memorable. So I saw him at AWAI's boot camp and everyone was standing around him but a little intimidated to talk to him. I said, hey, Paris, how are you doing? He goes, oh, hey, how are you doing? Um, you're from Australia, aren't you? Went, yep. He goes, how's everything going? I went, yeah, getting used to standing on my feet instead of my head, but, you know, it's all good. Yeah. And yeah. so it made him laugh. And then I said, oh, Paris, did you know that I can read palms? And he said, really? I said, yeah, show me. Show me your palm. I'll give you a quick reading. And he, so he hands over his hand. And so I just pretended to read his palm <laughs> and said, hey, Paris, did you know? I actually see in the future you're going to have a female copycub from Australia. Oh, my God, wait a minute. And her name's, oh, it's coming through now? her name's Pauline and I looked him straight in the eyes when I said her name's Pauline and he just went very clever and I went thank you very much and then I walked off <laughs> and everyone else is just going wow that's really cheeky but do you think it was cheeky or strategic like I needed to get his attention because everyone goes up to him and goes Paris how do I be a copy cub?" but then they won't do anything to pursue it they don't follow their dreams so what I wanted to share that for is not to show that I'm a smart ass, but I just wanted to show that when you want something bad enough, you'll find ways to make it happen. So last year, I got the, the call up, hey, Pauline, you want to still want to be a cub? Okay, read this book, get it back to me. And that's something that Paris has taught me is I've read a lot of the classic copywriting books, you know, just on my own. But Paris actually has taught us to read it in a different way to actually like see how it's going to affect our writing instead of just reading the book like scientific advertising and just going, oh, yeah, that's a pretty good story and, oh, it's written in 1924, 1926 or whatever. That doesn't apply to now. Everything that is in that book by Hopkins will work for today. There's nothing that won't work for today. And so getting out of that mindset of, you know, they're old books, they're not going to work, that's what Paris has helped me to do. But I think really what Paris specializes in is writing great writing. It just happens to come out in the form of copywriting, which he's very good at. He has taught me how to write very smoothly to get rid of the whole, when you read some copy, sometimes it jars you. And that's something that I knew before, started to learn copy with Paris is that you want your copy to be smooth, you want it to be logical, you want it to have that good emotion, but you want to be able to almost read the person's mind. Paris has just accentuated that and accelerated my progress for that and has turned me into a compassionate writer. And seeing things from the perspective of the the reader, which aligns perfectly with the nurse that wants to be compassionate and, and deliver a good solution for the reader
1: So what book would you recommend to newer copywriters who are just diving in from all the books that you've read? Is there
2: one favorite that you feel like is a must read? This may surprise you. It's not exactly a copywriting book. It's how to win friends and influence people. And I actually modeled my own book on this one because it's actually copywritten. If you read all of the chapter titles, they're headlines. If you read the copy, so you read the content within the book, it's all smooth. It's almost like a copywriter wrote it. And although it says Dale Carnegie on the front, there's an urban legend that Victor Schwab actually wrote that book. He actually wrote the ad, but there's an urban legend that he actually ghost wrote the book for Dale Carnegie.
0: Interesting. You know, I've heard a few people characterize the book as the longest sales letter ever written. So it's interesting that you say that.
2: Yeah. I mean, there's obviously other books like for copywriting. I mean, scientific advertising, tested advertising, but make sure you get edition number four. Anything after that has had too much stuff put in it. Breakthrough advertising, obviously, but that's a really deep and heavy book. And it's funny, people only specifically read the bit about the awareness scale and things like that look further than that. There's bigger gold in that. And that's something that Paris is teaching us. I can't share what that gold is, but just look beyond just that little bit that everyone concentrates on. I mean, he wrote a whole book. Eugene Schwartz wrote a whole book. It's worthwhile analyzing and reading and studying that whole book, not just that little bit that everyone else has done.
1: It seems like a theme for you is this showing up and showing up strategically can you just talk more about that? Because mm-hmm. beyond showing up and, and talking to Paris and then you know landing the other gig, you continue to show up. And I know that because I've bumped into you at several events now, and it doesn't <laughs> really stop for you. So yeah. can you just talk about the importance of doing that, even when you feel like maybe you're not ready or I haven't not at the point in my business yeah. where I'm making enough to invest in myself and travel? Because uh, you're traveling a far away and you do it often.
2: Yeah. Well, when I travel, it costs at least $10,000 to get on that plane and get wow. to America with airfares accommodation that. So as soon as I hit America, my dollars that I've earned are <laughs> worth about 30% less. So <laughs> what, what I've got is I've got a training fund that I put money into so that when things come up, then I've got the airfares accommodation and the ticket. Because as I said, To go to the Titans of Direct Response in 2014, I had to borrow money. It was humiliating. But then that only covered the tickets. It didn't cover airfares and accommodation. In fact, when I got to Titans of Direct Response, I was only having one meal a day because I couldn't afford to eat over there. But I rocked up. I showed up. But I I can tell you, and I know people in, in America, they say, oh, you're so lucky you get to go to these events. I'm going, you're so lucky you're on the same freaking continent. The expenses are less. But, I mean, everyone's got their own story happening and what I don't accept for myself is excuses about I can't do this. What I will reframe that to is how can I make this happen? Because here's the thing, guys, I, I went to Titans of Direct Response. I took a big gamble and invested in myself. Every door after that that's opened in my career has been because of that one event because I actually, you know, begged, borrowed, and I didn't steal Though I can't do that. But I begged and borrowed got the money, paid it all back within the amount of time because I took every copy job I possibly could. But things that happened, I met Paris, I met Brian Kurtz, I met Marcella. And a couple of years ago, she invited me to talk at her Titanides event. And I'm getting more speaking gigs and things like that because of showing up and getting my butt out of Australia. Because that's the thing too. I think what it really just comes down to is don't wait for the mountain to come to you if it's important enough for you, go to the mountain. No one comes to Australia, so I have to go to America because that's where they are.
0: I'm going to Australia in May, so uh, <laughs> I know somebody, somebody's coming Rob, to Australia. But, Rob uh,
2: goes to Australia. Yeah, yeah no, no, nobody, nobody important. No, but as, as you're going to be in Australia, I'm on my way to America to speak in an. Event, <laughs> I know.
0: <so>. I know <laughs> we're going to miss each other, which is too bad.
2: I know it is actually. Yeah, you'll enjoy it. Watch out for all the little killy things. Hopefully, yeah, uh, hopefully they look after <laughs> you. Yeah, yeah, a few
0: people have said the minute the minute you step off the plane in Australia, everything tries to kill you. And so I'm looking exactly.
2: forward to Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So yeah, may the force be with you,
0: <laughs> Pauline. You've talked about a couple of things that you really did that have made a difference in your career. What other kinds of advice would you give to you know just starting out, Pauline? Mm -hmm. You know, or advice to a new copywriter that would help them maybe get past some of the hardship and the toil and the struggle at the very beginning of the career and you know, take a couple of big steps past everybody else that's struggling.
2: This is something that I tell the guys that are mentor for AWAI because I'm one of their mentors, but something I see all the time. People go, I don't have time. I just don't have enough time in the day. Don't you understand, Pauline? I've got children. You know, you don't have children. Don't you understand, Pauline? I have a job. Uh, You don't have a job, you know, and I'm just like, as I said before, there's always excuses. One thing that I do is I don't allow myself to have excuses. I used to have an excuse book and every time I used an excuse, I put it in that book, never to be used again. (laughs) So that's why. These days, I'm kind of struggling for excuses. It's just easy not to use them. But what I tell the guys at AWAI is run your activities through this filter. It's like the filter of three. Now, I'm not saying don't watch TV or anything else, but spin it through this. It's the three E's. Is it educational? Is it entertainment? Or is it escape? So, I like to watch TV and I just did a comedy course and so I'm studying more of the comedy and all that sort of stuff. It's pretty cool. So, if I'm watching a sitcom, it's for education and entertainment. But if I sit there and I find myself watching TV and all of a sudden I just go, Pauline, are you even watching this? Are you enjoying it? Is it entertaining you, educating you? Or are you sitting there just trying to escape from doing something else? And so if it's escape, then I turn off the TV and I go and do something else. And I do that all the time. Like I'll, I'll be, you know, fluffing around on Facebook and it's Pauline, what are you doing? yep, I'm escaping. All right, let's go and do something else. Now with that time, whether it's half an hour or if it's 15 minutes or whatever it is, make good use of it. And I'm into a concept called time optimization, not time management because we can't manage time. You know, we can't slow it down, speed it up. We have what we have and whether you use it wisely or poorly is up to you. So I say optimize the time that you have and if you run it through the three E's, then you'll find yourself getting more time. And so what I will say with that time, have a a list of things that you want to do. Instead of spending 15 minutes of going, oh, I've got 15 minutes, what can I do? You just go to your your list and go, okay, so this will fit in, let's start it. So what I do in in those times is I write copy out by hand and I know that this is a contentious issue that people talk about, oh, I don't write stuff out by hand, you know, it's a waste of time. You know, Paris Lampropolis, if he sees something that he likes like a sales letter or an email or something that he likes, he writes it out by hand. So if a guy's been writing for 28 years and he's like one of the top paid copywriters on the planet and he's still writing stuff out by hand, I do it. If I only have 10 minutes, there's a lot of articles on copywriting that you can read. You know, your group on Facebook is one that I spend perhaps most of my time in out of all the groups. I'm not saying that just because I'm here. It's actually a fact. I used to be in a lot of copywriting groups, but I can't stand the energy of them. And the drama and everything. So yeah, so <laughs> use, your t- use your time wisely. You know, don't. I was just gonna say we've it. had a little little bit of drama. Yeah, a little. Oh, yeah, there, bit of time. There's always a little bit of stuff, but not to the degree of other things. You know, so yeah. pat, on, pat on the back, guys, because uh, yeah, I like to hang out in there, and I've met some really incredible people. And as you know, I'm in the underground. You know, and that comes down to investing yourself. And actually, even like when I was saying about TV and other things, think about your money too. I do this for my money. I'll go, okay, will this entertain me? Well, is it for enjoyment or education or is it for an escape? Am I buying this to try to make me feel better, which will make me feel better for five minutes with the dopamine, but then it wears off? That's how you can save money because like I'm kind of like a delayed gratification kind of a girl. You have to be when you're a Paris cub because it's so long and drawn out but i tell you what it's worth it but instead of blowing everything now i'm happy to keep saving because i know that once a year at least i get to go to america and hang out with my soul mates and soul sisters and soul family and copy buddies and all that sort of stuff it's you know that is worthwhile that's worth saving up for and studying for and just showing up for
1: I would like to hear about how you structure your day. So you've shared, you know, how you educate yourself, entertain yourself. How do you structure it so that you have time for your business and for copywriting and for, you know, to actually live a life and have fun? What does that look like?
2: Well, I don't work eight hours. I don't work six hours all in a row and that. I think the way I started out this journey was just ridiculous. I had people telling me that I had to get up at like, five o'clock in the morning, four o'clock in the morning. And then they had this like this competition, you know, like, oh, I get up at like 3.30 and then the next person goes, oh, I get up at three o'clock. I'm just going, wow. And then I'm waiting for the next person to go, well, I don't even freaking sleep, you know. So I'm just like, (laughs) okay. So I think, you know, just finding something that works for you is the best thing. And what I do is I work in chunks, like copy chunks. And so they're 50 minutes long. If I'm doing creative writing, They're 50 minutes long. And do you want to know why I work to 50 minutes and not 33 minutes and 33 seconds?
0: Yeah, of course. Yeah?
2: All right. So I was told a while ago by a guy who does all this neuroscience and neuromarketing and that, that it takes us at least 23 minutes to go from a standing start to our creative zone. So if it takes us 23 minutes to get into our creative zone and really start to get into what we're there to do. And you finish your copy chunk at 33 minutes and 33 seconds, you've only had 10 minutes of creativity. So I work that to my advantage. I actually write for 50 minutes when I'm doing creative work. And if I'm just doing editing or critiques or anything like that, then I'll I'll work to 30 or 33 minutes. But it's always 50 if it's creative stuff.
0: That's good to know. I like that advice.
2: Mm. Yeah. So there you go, a bit of a hack
0: for everyone. So Pauline, this question might sound a little self-serving, but I'm I'm really curious because mm-hmm. you're in a group, you know, as awesome as Paris's group, which is, you know, if you could pay to join would be worth tens of thousands of dollars. And you're also in, you know, our underground that costs, you know, less than a hundred dollars mm-hmm. a month. And yeah. you know, I wonder like, why would you do both? Like what value do you get from being in or making those kinds of investments in your business?
2: Well, I'm also in like copy chief and there's a couple of other things that I'm in, but I like to invest in myself and why would I be in your group? Well, you guys are pretty awesome. I like what you share. You share different stuff than what Paris does. I mean, you've got your templates and you've got your checklists and things like that. So it actually accentuates what I'm doing with Paris really well. And here's another thing that I like. We've only got a really small group of cubs and we're all really tight, but I want to meet other dynamic copywriters as well. And do you think that the underground has got like a lot of dynamic people in it? Absolutely. And they're the people I want to hang out with because they're not afraid to invest in themselves. See, on on some of the, the free groups, there's a lot of people in there and they only see problems. But in the underground, people are there to solve problems. They're not you know, going, oh, I've got this problem and I'm just going to sit in there and wallow and, you know, there's self-pity. It's like, hey, guys, I've just come across this. I can't seem to get past it. Can you help me? Yes. And in fact, in the underground, one of the members had a bit of a problem with mindset. So I did a free mindset session on her and it changed her. She's just like blown away. And I did it for free because I just wanted to help her. But I wouldn't do that in other just like unpaid groups because people haven't invested in themselves and really want to stay stuck in their stuff sometimes.
1: Yeah, that's the best promo and ad we can run for the Underground. Come and join the Underground. And that, and wasn't and
0: why, it definitely wasn't why I asked smart, the question. Rob, I was, I, smart, Rob. Very smart.
1: So scary. hang out with Pauline and get mindset trainings for free if you join the Underground. So that's what we're <laughs> oh, speaking. I know.
2: Montoya, it. It's not going to happen.
1: I've only got it. Right. I want my mindset training, Pauline. Yeah, well, I'll do a session on you. You better watch out. Buckle up and hold on to your aura. <laughs> right. You won't be the same again. Too. Okay, okay. So I know we're we're nearing the end of our time together. Can you just share a little bit about what what you're focused on in the new year, what projects you're excited
2: about or ventures you're excited about? Yeah, well, at the moment, I'm doing a little bit of work with Carlin Anglade cole He's a top health writer. I had the good fortune to uh, do a program with her and I'm getting a little bit of work through her, which is fantastic. I mean, being trained by Paris and Carleen, it's like a health writer's dream, basically. So I'm, I'm concentrating on that, scaling up my business. But really what I want to do is I want to get more into productizing myself. And I love copywriting for clients, but I want to get more of not a lot of passive income because I don't think there is such a thing. You still have to do some work. But I want to do some more mentoring as well. I want to um, have some little products. And as I said, I I want to do more speaking in the future because I think I've got some good things that I can share with people. So that's what I'm concentrating on next year.
0: Sounds like plenty of stuff to get done in the new year for sure.
2: Yeah, absolutely. 2019 is going to be the best year since 2018.
0: (laughs) I like it. (laughs) For us too. (laughs) So Pauline, if somebody wants to connect with you, where can they find you?
2: I've got a website. It's thecopyalchemist.com. Yeah, you can find me there. Uh, You can find my podcast, my knowledge nuggets, and everything else. Connect with me on Facebook. And here's the other thing. Join the underground. You'll find me in there. How's that sound? (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Now we
1: can't let you go. You can never leave the underground. (laughs) Happy Um, to stay. Happy to stay. All right, Pauline, well, thank you so much for jumping on with us and sharing your story and just really excited to hopefully see you again in person because I, lo- I love hanging out with you. I love your
2: energy and it's so much fun. Yeah, thank you so much, guys. I hope the listeners get something out of this. I know that I get a lot out of all of your other podcasts. So yeah, hopefully this measures up as well.
0: It's been great. Thanks. <laughs>